Who won the battle of blockbuster trades? Can Russ fit with Harden on the Rockets? Should teams really be tanking? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. We are post-Vegas trip. My voice is a little bit wor- worse for the wear, but as always, I'm joined by Jared Weiss. He's coming to us from some undisclosed location, uh, and we're here to talk a little bit about the rust trade, the time bomb that blew up on everyone's face yesterday. Jared, what's going on? I'm at an undisclosed location that my parents also happen to live at. Ah. I also happen to be near Cape Cod, so I can get some nice sun this weekend. Ah, very nice. I hope you enjoy that. I hope they can enjoy listening to you talk about uh, this trade. What were your thoughts to go uh, to kick it off? Uh, I feel like I'm saying holy crap for like the eighth time this summer or this week or today. I don't know. It's uh, hard to keep track these days of who, all the insanity. Who won? Which deal is the best deal what do you, which, uh, out of all these? The Kawhi and the AD, this? I mean, Sam Presti, I feel like it was a big winner, but... Um, the Paul George trade, I think, is the best trade if you look at just the trade in a vacuum for both sides in that I think that they got more for Paul George than they probably could have anticipated. Um, actually, no. You know what? The Russell Westbrook one, because I think that they're going to come out of that with, you know, once they send CP3 to Miami and they'll be able to, you know, they'll get money that could probably be moved off the books in two years. They both will position themselves for free agency in 21 or 22. They'll have you know, an un- incomprehensible, you know, a-, a-, a bevy of draft picks that we've never seen anything even remotely close to that. I mean, the Celtics of the last five years can't even compare to that. I mean, there's, I can't think of anything else even close to it. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, so I feel like that that Westbrook deal, because I do think Paul's going to get moved to Miami. I think that that is going to be the one that's the real winner. But I guess the clip, if you look at it from the Clippers perspective, they traded all those draft picks for both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And that would be the biggest haul in the history of the NBA. I don't think there's anything really close to that. Yeah, the only thing I think it gives me pause is that they, they both signed basically two-year deals with a player option for the third. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's what their deal now is. And that's a little bit, you know, nerve-wracking, I suppose. But, you know, two years is a long time, I suppose. And they are in prime position right now to, to challenge, uh, especially with Golden State being wounded a little bit. So um, I, I don't know. It's a, I, I'm going to do a video on that for The Athletic, and I'm going to figure out, uh, you know, the top three, who's, who the what order and who won. But you're right. Certainly OKC, that haul they have is uh, – and they're not going to use all those picks. They're going to end up using them for, you know, to get players, I assume. And so for sure. uh, we know that Presti will definitely be able to know how to do that. Uh, that said, we, we didn't even mention David Griffin and what he did over in, in New Orleans, which has to be up there in the conversation at some point. Yeah, I mean, Griff – Griff had a pretty a pretty memorable offseason in that well I'm sure it's still going but in that um, not only did he manage to pivot out of the AD situation pretty remarkably you know kind of like smoother than we ever could have anticipated but it was you know it's his first offseason with this franchise and like how often does a GM get to take over the reins and then do some you know have such a dramatic and beautiful rebuild a rebuild in which the team ironically is going to probably be better after trading away their superstar in the first year it's it's david griffin i mean he he only is pulling it off because he you know won the lottery with zion if it weren't for that then obviously they wouldn't be in such great fortunes but they did and 
now they're you know now they're the team that looks like they're going to come out of the AD situation, finally becoming the team that they should have been with AD all these years. Right, right, and also there there might be some uh, word to people who want to still tank. Whereas they had the seventh worth, worst record, or they were tied for the seventh, so they could have been like the ninth worst record, or whatever. They get number one. The Knicks really tried tanking, and they got number three. So I would hope that maybe this is still going to slowly push more teams to try and be competitive. Let me ask you this though, because somebody was arguing with me on Twitter that the New Orleans, New Orleans did tank, um, and I would say, okay, I guess they tanked at, like in March, but does that count? Can we consider that tanking? I think in the past, tanking that everyone's been okay with has been when it's happening in after the trade deadline, essentially. Because usually, I think in the past, it's been there's a pretty clear group of teams that are competing for the top of the lottery at that point. And at the deadline, they've been able to move whatever quality pieces they have for future pieces, so they're able to legally tank that way. And then it's usually a race to, to, to the bottom from there. And... That was also that just coincides with the time period in which they didn't trade AD and they decided that they had to bench him because I mean, I'm sure tanking was a big part of that, but I think it was mostly just trying to preserve his trade value to the maximum possible because we know that if AD suffered a serious injury, which is a plausible thing because he's been hurt in the past, that that would have affected his trade value to a degree. It would it would not have tanked it, but it would have definitely hurt it. And there's just at that point. There was no reason for them to chip away. I mean, that could be the, that could be the difference between one of those crazy amounts of draft picks that they received, and you know, every single one of those is extremely important. I agree. I agree. So I, I think it's interesting because yeah, to me, my definition of tanking now has to be, uh, you, you know, what what Philly did for those years. Like they decided to do it from the beginning of the year all the way through. And uh, there doesn't seem to be a value in doing that at this point. Uh, and then if we had more teams, they could do what the Euros do and just sort of have tiers where you can't get into, you know, you drop down to another level, like G League level, if you don't win enough games. But nonetheless, when I was at Summer League, I spoke at Pro Scout School and people were handing business cards and resumes left and right. It was so confusing and difficult to keep track of everything. But then I remembered I've got a link to click to solve all those problems. ZipRecruiter.com slash breakdown. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash breakdown. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash breakdown, B-R-E-A-K-D-O-W-N. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, we still got to talk about Russell Westbrook. I didn't spend. I spent about ten hours today. I still didn't even finish the damn video. I'm going to have to do it early tomorrow morning and finish because I'm still so <laughs> blazed from uh, from late Vegas. But we, uh, we still, talk. Still high from Vegas. Is wow, that right? That's not the right word. Blaze is not the right word. Because <laughs> trust me, that was not burnt, happening. Burnt out, probably. Burnt out. Yes. Uh, and so, okay. So I've gone through all the footage, and it's some problems. I don't, I don't really see how this fits. Do you know, you, can you understand where I'm going with this? Well, you, you would agree with this, that Chris Paul's style of play is a better fit next to James Harden, right? Primarily because he can shoot. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. 
Russell Westbrook can't Here's, shoot. Yeah, walk me through this. He can't even shoot from mid-range. Like, last year, and you look at his numbers from 18 to 24 feet on NBA.com or stats on NBA, he was like, uh, out of 40 players that averaged at least two attempts from that range a game, he's like 36th, I believe. Or maybe he's 26th out of 30, something like that. Uh, it's not good, you know? Meanwhile, Chris Paul in that range didn't take that many, but he was like 57%, like this scalding from, from that range. It's crazy, but he's limited them. So it's like, you know, he actually was much better this year at the rim, so he's got that going for him. But um, well, I don't the know. Way, the way that I saw Russ the last year, you know, this was like a turning point, honestly, for me and my relationship with Russ, which doesn't exist more than I say hi to him once a year. But so, um, but like as far as my understanding of him as a player, I have always been anti-Russ, you know, always. And just in that I don't think he should have been MVP. I thought that should have been Harden or Kawhi Leonard. I thought they were in their own class there. Um, I didn't think the triple-double stat, while it was, like, remarkable, I didn't think it contributed nearly as much to winning. It was kind of overrated. Not to mention, James Harden was two rebounds short of a triple-double that year, uh, average-wise, too. So, (laughs) like, the difference between two rebounds a game is kind of negligible. Harden and Westbrook did pretty much the same thing. But the point is, is that... Russ has always, and I feel like we've said this a thousand times on the show, Russ has always taken away as much as he gives. And he gives so much. I mean, he is so remarkable attacking the rim. There's never really been anyone quite like him before. He's really one of the all-time greats at attacking the rim. No question about it. Like, probably top five ever, maybe. Um, But he has just been such a reckless decision maker for so long. And... There were so many games. There's one game in particular. It was either against the Clippers or the Warriors. I can't remember which one. But I just remembered watching him, and he was hitting some insane shots. But then, like, in the last couple minutes of the game, and then he would make one amazing play. And then the next play, he would throw up a floater from 15 feet, and he would throw it over the backboard. And it was just, like, out of control play the entire time. No awareness for the situation. It was so frustrating. And then this year, to his credit, or last year now, um, I think – as a confluence of KD leaving and then being able to lock in a new partner to replace him and Paul George and maybe just hitting 30 and becoming a little bit more mature about the thought process and having more self-awareness, he took a backseat and he let PG be the focal point of the offense, particularly in crunch time and really focused on being a great distributor. And I'm sure the fact that he had like the worst shooting season ever last year probably contributed to him just having to account for that. He probably got tired of missing so many deep shots, but I thought that he really did a good job of pulling back on some of his more destructive tendencies offensively. Also playing a little bit more consistently on defense, which has been a huge issue for him. Um, but like really focused more on being a distributor. And so I think that in that regard, he does fit nice to Harden uh, and, and next to Harden nicely. And also I know that he has pretty much no stretching uh, on the floor at this point, but he's one of those guys that because he's such a smart off ball cutter and so explosive, that if you give him space, he's going to find a way to make you pay for it. So uh, you can't just sag off. Um, all right. Let me unpack some of that there because. Go for it. Uh, you know, the, the, the cutting off ball, uh, you know, is a little bit. I don't. That doesn't happen that much. He, you know. Now, In that, that said, too. I went yeah. back to OKC days and found footage of um, uh, Harden setting him up. And he was cutting nicely then. So maybe, you know, getting back on the court with Harden will maybe they'll reinvigorate some of what they could have had back in OKC before they traded Harden away and they, had, they shouldn't shouldn't have done that. Uh, but I do want to back you up on the, the, the backseat thing, although two things. One is because he was shooting so poorly, there were like Ben Simmons moments for him 
where he oh, literally yeah. just wouldn't shoot it. And he was so passive in a way. And it was startling. And I kind of want to say it's good because it is an, uh, some self-reflection. But it also, you know, we've seen Ben Simmons, like, have a problem with their offense because he's not a threat. Um, however, taking a backseat is correct. When you look at who had the most uh, pick-and-roll ball handler possessions on Synergy, Dennis Schroeder was number one. Paul George was number two. And then Russell Westbrook right behind him. That fa- that was probably the most fascinating stat I saw of all these things. I um, yeah, <laughs> that is pretty fascinating actually. Um, I, I it, this isn't going to work well. It, it's going to be a total mess, right? I mean, there's I think coming into the season they're going to be probably really deferential for each other, and then it's they're going to miss a ton of shots, and then they're both going to be like, all right, now we got I got to do what I do best, and you know, and the big thing is. I think Harden has changed pretty significantly as a player since they were together. I think Russ's game has stayed pretty similar. I think he was just already a little bit more established. He was already in the role that he was in. And Harden has been able to change. I think, you know, Harden, I think he's just become a little bit more of like a, I don't want to say stationary ISO player because he isn't stationary, but like he tends to operate from a specific area when he gets the ball. And there's not a lot like he plays from the middle for the most part, plays from certain spots in the middle. It's a little yeah, stagnant. That's the right word. Thank you. Yeah. And he's become a lot more stagnant since. And it didn't change too much with Chris Paul there. Uh, but like it, it also has worked to the point that he's been the MVP essentially for three years in a row or has been top three MVP for three years in a row. So there hasn't been a need for him to change that. Right. Um, and I guess that's probably going to have to happen now. Yeah, and by the way, the big winner here is going to be Steven Adams because he finally gets to get the amount of rebounds he deserves. <laughs> See, he's going to average like 30 rebounds a game next Seriously, year. it's like if that's he's how, even still there. Right, and by the way, and like it, it's kind of like we all know that was what was going on. And then it just, I think what rubs me wrong about Russ is that like it's he's playing for stats. And I think a lot of people in the NBA understand that and recognize that. And you could choose to sort of not see that as bad or good or whatever. But I guess I'm old school in the sense that, uh, you know, I, I don't think that, that you should be playing for that and always be looking for that triple-double, uh, especially when it comes down to those rebounds that he's just, you know, almost stealing from his teammates or they're letting him have them. If you approach all sports the way I do with basketball, then you must be an informed viewer, ready to put some of your money down on the games. Baseball season is in full swing, and it's never been more exciting to place a wager using betonline.ag. It's a long season, there are plenty of games to choose from, and because you're in the conversation, I'm giving you an extra 50% added onto your sports betting bankroll when you go to clnsmedia.com slash bball and use code CLNS50. Best part is, the bonus will be added onto your balance within seconds. Again, support my podcast by going to clnsmedia.com slash bball and use code CLNS50. A minimum deposit of 25 bucks is required to qualify for the bonus. Please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to work so well either. I mean, I, here's what I said in my video that I'm going to release tomorrow. Uh, you know how it, it, did you, I don't want to do a spoiler or ruin, um, end game. Did you see end game? Uh, no, but I don't care. So go okay. For it. So in end game, they, like the doctor strange it, it determines there is ex- exactly one version of the timeline that will give them success out of the millions and billions of po- possible ways that they could go about this to try and beat Thanos. And I feel like it's the same thing here. 
there is one way, like they could, if they could figure it out, there's so many ways you can go wrong. And there's like, there's one way they can kind of figure out a balance and Russ can shoot a little bit better, uh, that, that it actually could work and they'd be better off than they were last year or the year before. Uh, but again, it's, it just seems like there's so many things working against them. And th- that's the issue is can Russ operate? He, he needs to be off the ball more than he was in, in OKC, right? Uh, sure. I think that Harden is hoping he's going to be off the ball more, you know, more than he was last year anyway. But I think that he thought that too with Chris Paul, and it, it kind of slowly just didn't do that way. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that, that James Harden ended up taking over so much more of the scoring load and probably in pissing off Chris Paul so much because CP3 missed so many games? And I think there might have been a little bit of a trust factor with CP3 being able to get a shot off too. I mean, that last year, Chris could not get a shot off for a lot of the season. It, he was like it was kind of sad sometimes watching him trying to isolate isolate in space in the mid range, and he was just getting swallowed up because he just didn't have any bursts. And hopefully he's healthy this year and he gets most of it back. But he's is he thirty four now? He must be pretty close to that at this point. So he, I mean, he's he's kind of approach he's approaching the age where he just doesn't get it back once it's gone, and right. that's clearly a concern. So I mean, this is which is why I think this trade had to be done. Is even if Russ is you know, hitting, if he's about to approach the downslope of his peak, he's at least still there. While Chris, I think, is about to, you know, backslide explosive, you know, explosive level wise. And he has to start shooting like crazy for him to maintain his star level into his late 30s, which, you know, it's per- almost almost never do these guys last until like they're 38 years old as a star. Like, it, usually right. they fall off around 35. So, and by the way, J- so Jason Kidd, I checked that too. Jason Kidd started to shoot like a real three point shooter. In his 11th year in the league, and Russ just finished his 11th year, and is you know has still not done that. And uh, at least if you looked in deep into Jason Kidd's career earlier, there were a couple. There's a one season in there or two where he actually did shoot on very low volume, pretty pretty well from three. So there was a little inkling that maybe he could do that. Whereas we really haven't had that from Russ at all. And I found that interesting. And I, but I do want to say that Daryl Morey probably uh, does win the trade in the sense that there's no question you wanted to get rid of Chris Paul's contract now because it was going to be so bad in the next couple of years based on his age. Much rather have Russ, yeah. Yeah, sure. so, you know, so that, that's a win as it is. I should probably sneak, sneak that in there in the voiceover just because I want to make sure I can get as positive as I, as I can on this one because <laughs> there, there are moments I don't want to crap on the whole thing. Um, but... You know, it's this notion of when you start, you, you're trying to force all these different stars together without a notion of chemistry or positional balance. Uh, generally, it doesn't work. And I know that they're friends and they've been friends since high school. By the way, I will want to say this. Chris Paul did play really well uh, without Harden on the floor. Somebody tweeted that out. He had really good numbers. That's true. That's you know? true. So he did actually perform. I think his, that's what he was frustrated with. What he wanted was more pistol or more 21 action where he could get a handoffs into the middle, which I have some of those shots in my video. Where it's, he looks great. Um, and he doesn't want to sit there st- standing for 20 seconds. And then, you know, what? Harden would, would do that sometimes where he would kick it out to him with like five seconds in the shot clock and then say, well, you know, I didn't get anything. I was ISOing, ISOing, and now you got to do something. And it's like, that's not fair at all. I could easily see why Chris Paul was pissed. That's what I, that's what I hate about ISO and I hate about their system, but whatever. But you know, when, to Russ's credit, Russ will get to the rack in that. And, you know, for, for all I said that's negative about Russ, like Russ – well, I did say that he is one of the top five rim attackers ever, but like he still is an elite rim attacker, and he is a guy that if you can, if he can get one step of steam attacking from the three point line, he's going to finish in the lane and probably draw a foul or get the shot off. So, I mean, he gives them 
for the first time in a while, or I guess since CP3 in his first season was still playing great, he gives them someone that can get into the paint and wreak havoc in a way that he that only Harden can. Because Eric Gordon, as good as he is, he isn't quite reliably getting to the rim. And even usually when he gets into the lane, he puts up a floater anyway because he's not a all the way to the rim guy. Right. Uh, he will. He will dunk it on you sometimes, which is I don't oh know sure. Where, like he yes. can dunk it on you, but he generally seems to prefer a flo- an early floater than trying right. to finish with like a, a hook shot against yeah. the backboard or something. Like and that. by the way, that's the other thing that Russell Westbrook does not have is a floater. So when you're watching all this, the genius of Chris Paul, even though it was rough last year to some degree, uh, his control in that realm out of their offense is really remarkable. And you have to imagine that Russ will be in those similar situations as Chris Paul was, and he's different. But um, I, I am encouraged at the very least because he did have a much better year than normal at the rim. And that's been a thing that's been you know shocking to most people. I did a video on that a couple of years ago, and no one believed me when I told them that he really wasn't very good at the rim, efficient, efficiency-wise. And uh, at least you know for, for whatever he did this last year, he was much better. I have a quick thought experiment question just to try to take this podcast. If Russ had floater and shooting touch but still had the same tendencies and the same recklessness. Where would you, where would you probably rank them all time players? Oh, all time. Um, yeah. And like I mean, not really accounting for like championships one, but just like capability. Well, here's the thing. If he had a floater, then in theory, he wouldn't be the same Russ. Like you're describing like the same tendencies, right? He would be able to, to change speeds a little bit and be under more control, which certainly vaults him a lot higher up the chain. If that, if he could ever do that, you know, for, for yeah. my book, uh, I mean, I, I, again, this is going to sound so harsh, but, you know, he might be one of like the worst superstars we have. And so, <laughs> you know what I mean? He is a superstar on every level, especially because of his his uh, marketing ability, like the way he his commercials are, are awesome. You know, you need yeah. to have that. I always that's why I always thought like, maybe Kawhi doesn't quite get superstar status because he doesn't have that, you know, that commercial appeal. But either way, Russ has it. And um, but when you look at the skills and what he can and can't do, um, I, I got I put him way down there in that scale of that superstar uh, thing. Do you think that's fair? I, I think he's almost like a different but the same version of Mello in that he he's stuck in his ways is, you know, ext- you know, another like both of those guys have like top 20 talent of all time, probably. Um, I mean, Mello is probably the best scorer of his generation or most capable score of his generation. And both of them, I mean, Russ got really close to the finish line. Mello never really got that close, except for like one year in Denver, where they were never really seen as, even though they got to the conference finals, they were not seen as a real championship threat. Like OKC was a, had like, a, got really close to winning the title, like probably three times at least, right? So, I mean, Russ and, but also Russ was playing with Kevin Durant, so that's a huge part of it. But like, he got close many times. And so there's a huge difference there. But stuck in his ways, um, you know, like it was just having the world screaming to him to change the way that he thinks about the game or just the way that he approaches using, you know, his skill set to try to make it work with the rest of the team and to fit the team concept. And he just never really fully, you know, pulled it off. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. I, I, I agree. I feel like um, I've always sort of analyzed him in the crucible of, you know, championship level play. Not that you can dunk all over the Phoenix Suns, you know, when you play them three times and all and all those teams. 
um, because it is transcendent what he can do when he does against those guys. But it's always seemed to be an issue when they get up against the tip of the top of the league. And uh, I think that's fair to judge him that way because I think the fans certainly would expect to be championship contenders and want to be at that level. It's, these are, this is not the, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies trying to like, rebuild right now where you give a guy maybe a break and then we see where they're going. Um, and so that's always been my issue. And I feel like, and I'm not looking for vindication. This is, I feel like this is a come to Jesus podcast for me, but um, I'm not looking for vindication, but I do feel like I've had to endure quite a lot of vitriol, um, you know, primarily I guess on Twitter, uh, for my analysis on Russ. And I feel like every year that's gone by, it's gotten less and less because I feel like more and more people are starting to see what I think I had seen originally from my perspective as a coach. You know what's funny is I find that the fans of the players tend to reflect the players themselves. And so, <laughs> like, you have – well, I think it's because the people that stand for players, they do – a lot of it is because the player reflects their personality yeah. or the player's playing style reflects their personality. That's and that's why you gravitate towards them. And, I mean, that's why Manu is probably, and Steve Nash are probably my two favorite player, NBA players of all time. And I think their personality and their play style is very similar to mine. Um, well, their play style is similar to my personality. Play styles, uh, well, if their play style was to dribble the ball off their foot and then fall over, then I guess it would be like my play style. But so, um, but like Russ, you know, Russ stands and Kobe stands are like the two that I feel like really jump out to me as like people who just throw out, you know, like the raw total stats, uh, you know, like just like they throw out like the PPG, APG, whatever, um, talk about like killer mentality and like, you know, being, you know, getting buckets and being ballers and stuff like that. And it's never about, you know, team fit or, you know, all that stuff. It's always about like check the rings and like, all you know, all this, all this stuff that is like pretty simplistic as if you're reading it off of the back of a card of like a basketball card. Right. But, but, or, but even more to the point they they had that same, we'll call it passion, but they had that same, you know, mentality or they're going to go at you and they're going to be yeah. really hyper aggressive. Whereas, you know, maybe like the Kawhi Leonard's, you know, fans are much more staid and they are maybe, you know, not respectful, but respectful could be the word. And so that's interesting. That could actually be worthy of a, maybe a, even an article you want to write uh, about that because that's, you know, right? Which, you know, is funny because Kawhi Leonard's game is like almost a carbon copy of Kobe's game. And yet because of his personality, we treat him completely differently than Kobe gets treated. Yeah. OK, I can see what you mean by the games, but I can certainly can't see what you mean as far as efficiency wise. Right. Like Kawhi Leonard is sure. so much better. Sure. I mean, and, and then as and, and one of the reasons why is he takes better shots. I, I always said about Kobe that he was the best worst shot maker I'd ever seen. Um, and and but even still, the best worst shot maker is going to shoot forty percent, or it's going to be low. Um, and so and that was frustrating because he could have gotten better shots, in my opinion, if he would have let the offense work for him. But you know, it does work for me. The feeling of well-made workout clothes that fit perfectly and last a long time, and that's what you get with No Bull. I'm wearing their men's long sleeve tee right now, and I almost never take it off. It's snug. And the super absorbent fibers keep me fresh. Plus, I look really cool wearing it. No, no, I'm serious. It says no bull across the chest. And it tells people, I don't believe in excuses or BS. Their simple and functional design is grounded in performance. Made with extremely durable, breathable, and abrasion-resistant material. For simple, durable, and functional training gear... Visit nobullproject.com slash breakdown. Training gear for people who work hard and don't believe in excuses. Visit nobullproject.com slash breakdown 
and get your gear today. That's N-O-B-U-L-L-P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot com slash breakdown. You know, I went through a ton of things looking for any kind of 21 or pistol action because I'm like, where is he coming off of any pin downs? Because that would be, in theory, what he can get in with Houston. And maybe, you know, coming to Houston from OKC where he's not ensconced and he doesn't have the, you know, the tenure there, maybe he would actually run it because that's really fantastic stuff for him. I did find a couple times where they, they did a handoff into a ball screen. And by the way, just so it's clear, because some people out there who are jerks on Twitter want to try and correct me and say it's not pistol. Uh, this is America. I'm allowed to say, I'm allowed to think whatever I want to think. And if there's a handoff into a ball screen, no matter what part of the floor it's on, I consider, consider that pistol. Sue me. Uh, I'll, I'll contact my lawyer. I believe that it should only be considered pistol if they're curling from out of the corner and it's and the handoff is, in, I guess, outside of the seams to be basically at the elbow so they're curling around it to get either over the horn at the top of the key or to get down the lane. I mean, so it's like pinch post action. Pistol. Pinch post action is when you pass the ball to someone, you follow the passer on the outside, they hand it back off to you. That can happen anywhere on the court. And yet, if you want to be a stickler, like, by the way, I used to argue this with, like, Tex Winter, who invented the freaking triangle offense, and I'm sitting here arguing with him. You know, blind pig action. Yeah, that happens in a lot of different places in the court, and he would, re- he would refuse to acknowledge that it was blind pig unless it was exactly the way, you know, the guard at the half court throwing it to the weak side forward there. And I'm like, well, I just like it to keep it simple. I want to keep that nomenclature and that the concept there. So to me, uh, maybe we won't call it pistol as in the pistol play that you're talking about, but it's the pistol concept. And I don't mm-hmm. know. To me, that's like, and it's just easier to talk about it, to talk about it that way, where you know you can kind of understand where it is. And it's a question of where on the court, but you can you know what it is. So I don't know. I, that's how that's well, just how I do it. Well, then my question then would be, what is the difference between a pistol action and a DHO if you're taking pistol action outside of being locked the, to the corners? The, because there's a pin down before that. Oh, a, okay. I see screen. what you're saying. I, okay. Yeah. yeah right. Because by the way, I, you're I, right. That's I can buy that argument. Yeah, because I wouldn't call it consider a pistol if there was no pin down beforehand. Or if it was, you know, it could be a dribble handoff into a ball screen. If you just do a ball screen, that's not pistol. And if you just do a handoff, it's not pistol. But if you do those two things consecutively, uh, you know, for the same player, then that's pistol. But so. you would do if, if the handoff is first and then the and then goes around a second uh, pin down screen, you would consider that to be pistol. A handoff into a pin down? Yeah. Or like, I, how do you do that? So if you so if you go into the screen. corner, because I always think of it as is that you have like the pinch post, uh, or you have so you have the ball handler coming down the floor and then handing off to somebody curling out of the corner down okay. by like the far out elbow, yeah. And then you give them a pinch post screen that they can curl around. I, that's that's what I've always considered yes. to be pistol. Right, a drag screen, like it's a, it's a ball. Yeah, right, yeah. right exactly. Yeah. That's that is pistol for sure. Okay. And what I showed was on one, on one clip was. Uh, a pin down into a handoff, I think. Oh no, you know what it was? It was a, it was a handoff into a ball screen, I think too. But it just happened to be more centered on its on the on the, on the middle of the floor. Mm-hmm. Big deal. What's the what's the difference? So it's another. It's, it's five ten feet over from where you would you're describing it. And like you know, people want to argue that it's like whatever. So anyway, I, I, I just, I just like want to, to say I, I just want to say that you know. The podcast needs to separate itself to be good. And on the B-Ball Breakdown podcast, I do believe this is the only podcast in the world where you will find an argument about what parts, what zones of the floor constitute a pistol action versus a handoff into a pin down action. Yes, so I love it. And you know what? That's why, what this is, that's why this is the best podcast we've done all year long. So uh, <laughs> anyhow, well, let's, let's get to the point here, though, as we wrap this up. Um, okay, so you do, I don't think it's going to work so well. And I, don't, I think you agree with me as far as Houston Rockets 
uh, Harden, Russ. I'm extremely skeptical, but I I really hope it works out amazing. I hope Russ, because like I don't enjoy I I don't I don't I don't root against Russ, but like I just don't take pleasure out of watching him most of the time. So I really badly want to see Russ reach that potential that he has, so that we can witness that greatness. Right, and, we, and really the only the, the, the way to measure that is simply with field goal percentage. That is how we're going to know that he's taking good shots and he's playing within oh. himself and he's playing within the offense. Right. Probably, probably. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what any other indicator. Because you know what his percent his percentile was for overall offense on synergy this year? Twenty seven percent. Seventeen. Really? Wow! I got, I got the seven part right. Seventeenth percent off percentile. Um, and that's, you know, that's for points per possession point, on all offense on everything. Now you know you including, add, including passes. No, you add the assist, he gets a seventy second, and you always see those guards yeah, make a huge jump. So that's good. He was able to set guys up like Paul George or whatever. Um, but you know, I think yeah, no. When yeah. it's a, when it's any sort of distributing player, I always include the with assist uh, synergy stat because right. like that's such a huge part of their role. Right. I mean, listen, the list of point guards is going to be ahead of him as, as he's a seventy second percentile in possessions and assists um, is going to be, you know, there's probably ten, at least. Yeah. You know. That seems and, about right. Yeah, and that's probably right. But either way, um, all right. So. I agree with you, though. I definitely would like to see it happen. I've outlined some actions that would make that happen, or at least be better for him. And um, it could be really fun. And the bottom line is this is going to be the most fun, I think, season we've ever had as long as we can get these injuries under control and have everyone play healthy, uh, And then, you know, aside from KD. So um, I think we're in for a, a real treat coming up. I don't know if I can wait that long. I know. it's it's so. Fr- I mean, Summer League has been fun, at least, so... Oh, well, actually, has it been fun? I mean, I barely no, watched when I was... Summer League was like, boring. Oh, crap. Yeah. It's funny. I was just... I was just So I just had dinner with my family because I haven't seen them in like a month or so. And I just got back uh, uh, from Vegas earlier this week. And I, you know, they asked me how, how Summer League was. So I was like, you know what? I didn't really watch any games there besides the Celtics because I'm covering the Celtics. Like, not only was it that I think when I was younger... Yeah. You know, it, whatever. Like, who cares? Sorry. Like, All right. Yeah, I got to run. My food's here. Jared, it was awesome talking to you, and we will catch up again next week. And don't forget, sports fans, the B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel for conversation. Are you in? Are you in, Jared? I'm in the cake now.